Buenos días. Feliz Día del Padre. Happy Father's Day to all y'all. Uh, my name is Peter again. Uh, he just said that on the video, but I'm Peter. I serve as the lead pastor of the Springs. And like we said on the video, I'm excited. Today is the first of six messages on the Trinity. And so we're going to go through the next several weeks this summer. Uh, we're going to take two weeks for each person of the divine Godhead. Two weeks on the Father, and then the Son, and then the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to give you fair warning, because I really sense an extra dose of affection that is coming upon this house, that uh, we, we were a little bit prepared for at the first service, but not quite, um, and I'm just going to prepare you, okay? Uh, this is helpful, too, because uh, in the physical, I am somewhat... An, of an overbearing person in my affection sometimes. If any of you have ever gotten an over-aggressive hug, uh, hashtag sorry, not sorry. Um, and the thing about my hugs, though, is, is I'm not quite aware of how sometimes people are, not, are a little averse to my affection. But look, God the Father is aware. And even though some of y'all might not feel ready to be loved by the Father today, maybe you came in with some trust issues with church people, uh, some wounds that you've really tried to fix, but uh, no matter where you are, maybe you're just not quite ready to be loved on by the Father. I'm going to just tell you, ready or not, His love is here for you. And His Word we're going to dive into today. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you open yourself just a little bit, He's going to come and fill it, and you won't regret it. So the love of the Father is here for an amazing, amazing hug for you that you need. Now, as far as the Trinity, the, the Trinity is very, we, we know the Trinity from since the New Testament was revealed. We, we, we can kind of clearly articulate, and we'll talk about it in the coming weeks, where we started using words like the Trinity. Uh, but I'll tell you what, the Trinity is all over the Bible, and specifically the Heavenly Father. Although Jesus was the first one to refer to God as the title, Heavenly Father, when the perfect Son walked on the earth, put on flesh, and said, you are the Heavenly Father, I will say, nonetheless, He has always been, from eternity past, before creation, before He had created beings to show His fatherly paternal love for, He was always Heavenly Father relating to the Son in perfection. And so therefore, I could close my eyes and just point and say, boom, here's a message about the Heavenly Father. Now, I'm not going to do that today. Uh, I'm a little bit more thoughtful. And, uh, and of all the things that I've pondered, I, I think one of my favorite displays of the Heavenly Father is found in the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth. Now, we just went through our series on Judges. And it was a difficult time, to say the least, in the land of Israel. Judges was a dark and difficult time. And yet, many of y'all may know that the book of Ruth happened, this story that happened in Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. In the days of the judges, that the judges ruled, and then it goes on to tell the story about Ruth and the, the, the story I'm about to share with you right now. One thing we can know right now is the Heavenly Father's love shines so often so bright in the most difficult times. And so no matter what you're going through, you can know that in the time of Judges, he was still caring for, nurturing, and executing his plan of redemption, even if people didn't see it. And 
this story that I'm going to share with you from the time of the judges, uh, the, the book of Ruth says something about the, the love of the father. I'm going to give you a ridiculously long introduction and we'll get to our main text. Can I do that? I guess I can. I'm the guy up here talking. So in the days the judges ruled, goes on to share about this man, this Israelite man named Elimelech. Many of y'all, like me, don't have a friend named Elimelech. So I had to practice saying Elimelech. This man, he uh, had a wife named Naomi and two sons. And not only was the time of the judges a violent, difficult time where people were turning away from God, it says that in this particular time, there was also a great famine in the land. There was no harvest. There was no way for folks to eat and drink. The resources were scarce. And because of this, Elimelech took his wife and his two sons and went across the plains to an enemy nation. He probably was looking at online job postings, and he found, look, in the land of Moab, there is a job opening here. And so he moved his entire family over to Moab. And the Moab nation was in tension, to say the least. It was an enemy nation with Israel. And nonetheless, his sons and his wife go over there, and his sons find Moabite wives. The names of these wives are Orpah, not to be confused with Oprah, though I'm not sure if Oprah's parents got that confused, but... Orpah and Ruth. Orpah and Ruth were the wives of this, uh, of of Elimelech's sons. Now what we know is shortly after, right at the very start of Ruth, Elimelech's sons die and Elimelech himself dies. All three of these men, we don't know how they died, but what we do know is that these three women, Naomi and her two daughters-in-law, were, were left really without any protection or way to support themselves in a very dangerous time. It was a crucial moment. And so what happens is Naomi at this moment hears that the Heavenly Father has visited her homeland and sent rain to Bethlehem and the surrounding areas. And there was a, a forthcoming harvest if she could just go back to the land of Bethlehem where her family still owned land. And so she, what she did is she made plans to depart Moab and go back to Bethlehem. And she told her daughter-in-laws, look, you have an out here. You don't have to stay with me. You're not connected to me. You, you can actually go and find other husbands in, in your own land. Orpah kissed Naomi and took the offer and departed. But then verse 18 of chapter 1, Naomi says to Ruth, says, See, your, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. Where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me more, if anything but death parts me from you. Hashtag loyalty. Verse 18, and when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Ruth and Naomi go back to Bethlehem, and there's, there actually is a harvest of barley wheat coming out. The, the people of Israel are being fed, and one of her relatives, uh, the relative of her dead husband, Elimelech, this man named Boaz, was overseeing one of the harvests in his great field. And what, they, what, what happened there is, is Naomi uh, had Ruth go and glean on the barley harvest, meaning she would go after the, 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 the leavings that the, the harvesters would take when they would reap the, the ground. And the little things that fell behind them all day, she would just go pick up tiny little pieces, little by little, until she had just barely enough to support her and her mother-in-law. 
Boaz chapter 2 sees this and says, who is this woman? Look, of all the ways, women, you can get the attention of a man. This is another message, but it's serving God sacrificially. He's saying, who is this woman? Who is this woman? What's going on here? And one of the, one of the servants of Boaz said, look, this is actually one of the, the daughter-in-law of one of your relatives, Naomi. You might have heard about her. She's, she is a widow. She is from an enemy nation. She is a Moabitess, and she is actually supporting your family. She is supporting Naomi in a hard time. And then Boaz goes to affirm Ruth, and this, what he says to her is going to serve as our main text today, because it reveals something about God, the Father, that's every bit as much transcendent as it is rich. And I'm going to read that. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go and glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let not your eyes be on, let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men to not touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner. Verse 11, but Boaz answered her, all that you have done before done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to a people that, that you did not know before the Lord repay you. Verse 12 for what you have done and a full reward giving to you by the Lord God, the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. The word of God. Lord, please add a blessing to the reading of your word. Here's what I want to do with this. With our time that we have remaining, I want to unpack a few things that I see in this passage that I just read that shows us something profound about who we are and more importantly, whose we are in light of the Heavenly Father. And I want to get some rich goods out of this passage, but then I want to tie that back into our understanding of the Trinity. Because what we can understand about the the Father that we glean from Ruth is, is best captured when we understand who the Heavenly Father is in relationship to the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So first of all, what does this passage say about who you are? You are a precious child of the Heavenly Father. You are a precious child of the Heavenly Father. Now listen, there are billions of people on the earth. It might seem that there is a, a, a synonymous relationship between Uh, rare and precious. And maybe the world population doesn't seem to some to be rare or scarce, right? But listen, you are precious. God knows every hair on all the billions of people. He's numbered them. God the Father knows you. He knows your past. He knows your pain. He knows your future. He knows your name. And you are way more precious than you understand, that you live for, than you're willing to, to... to, 
grasp. And he does not want you to be your own refuge or protector anymore. Because when you try to protect yourself, you're also shielding yourself from the healing of the Father. And he wants you to know he loves you because you are a precious child. That's who you are. In fact, can you just help me preach for a minute? Can you repeat after me? I am a precious child of the Heavenly Father. Thank you. You're a precious child of the Heavenly Father. Now, this is very peculiar. When he goes to her and he says to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Now, it's only peculiar, I say, when he calls her my daughter, because we know from, little spoiler alert here, we know from later that he would marry her. He takes her as his wife, and Ruth would, would give birth to Obed by, by Boaz. And Boaz and Ruth were the great-grandparents of the great King David. And in that lineage, the, the maternal side, would, would Jesus' mom, would, would Mary would have the lineage of the king of kings. That these, this couple is amazing. He married her. So why is he calling her my daughter? Well, I can share with you, there's nothing weird going on here. Rather, his reference to his, you know, his love interest, his future wife, his referring to her as daughter says something about her common human dignity as he looks upon her. His, his, his reference to her as a daughter is speaking, you are exalted above what you think you are. You say you're just a foreigner, but you are a daughter. You are a precious child of the heavenly father is what he's saying to her. You're not just a foreigner. You're not, not just what you think you are. You are a daughter. Now listen, even Boaz treating a Moabitess at the time, treating her kindly, would have caused a lot of contention in his homeland, in a time where there was scarcity and there was war, and he is just treating her kindly, that's enough to have a scandal on his hands. But to refer to her with such familial proximity, calling her daughter, was a serious thing. See, what he's saying is, look, there's, there's, there's struggles in our day. There are hard things happening in Israel right now. In, in America, are there difficult things happening today? Hello? He's saying, look, there's something, though, that's deeper than all of the problems in the world right now. And there's something in you that I see that's more profound than what I'm seeing in the problems today. He's saying, there's something greater than our ethnic division. There's, there's something in your character, in your sacrifice. I, I hear in you the whisper of the Heavenly Father. I see the beauty of His face upon you. I feel our common goodness by watching you is what he's saying. And he's saying, look, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to fight for you and I'm going to cover you. Daughter. If the heavenly father could use a difficult moment in history 4,000 years ago, and difficult is a great understatement. If he could use a difficult moment like that to tear down barriers between his children and barriers to his overwhelming love for his kids, then how much more today? How much more today? Today, in our day. Last weekend, I was in Mexico, and we were seeing some amazing things God was doing, and I woke up one morning to hear of the horrendous, awful things that happened in Orlando. And as I was grieving, I saw something that grieved me even more. 
seemingly within moments of the news breaking out, I see popping up all over social media this pitting of division, pitting one group against another, one label against another. And I was immediately angered and prematurely vented my anger about this opportunistic thing. Um, Quickly deleted my vent. Uh, But now after some prayerful time to consider this, this is what I need to say. Human life is infinitely precious. Human life is infinitely precious. The, The heavenly father burns with a jealous, overwhelming passion for his precious children. We can't mess with it. We can't kill it. We can't overlabel it. And we must not politicize it. Human life is unbelievably precious. We need to cherish it. We need to protect it. Son and daughter and child, precious one. More than anything else, that's who you are. And we need to very carefully slow down and value what God values. Grieve where God grieves. Rejoice where God rejoices. Precious people. Gay people, Muslim people, bigoted people, American people, progressive people, ISIS people, Second Amendment people, families of terrorist people, social media scoffer people even. What do all these categories have in common? What's the one thing that holds them in common? People. They're people. They're precious image-bearing people. They're common. We are, we are common children of a heavenly father who is overwhelmed. And regardless of our inability to understand this, to live in light of his love and therefore our sinfulness and how we hurt one another, regardless of our failure to love other people, our struggle to discover identity and our own identity in, 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 in light of God's love for us and therefore our misplaced passions and our tendencies towards lust and bigotry and violence, we're all precious people that are jealously cherished by a heavenly father. And before anything else, you need to know this. Before you are black, before you are white, before you are left, before you are right, Before anything else, before nationality, ethnicity, gender, or sexuality, you need to reverently stop and and say, God, I am loved. I am a child. The, the, The deepest place from which you can gather your most profound definition is the person who created and loves you. Boaz stopped and saw this with Ruth. Now, a little bit of perspective here too, because maybe you struggle in the midst of all of the things that you're busy with and the things that can distract you. And I get it too. I struggle with my iPhone. It, it distracts me, but I let it. And if, with all my struggles and all my responsibilities, sometimes it's hard for me to slow down and see people, even the people that I love the most. And your struggle might be similar. And maybe we're going through hard times Uh, as maybe subjectively as some would say are hard, but listen, Boaz was going through some hard things too. In his land in that day, there was tension. There was genocide. There was all sorts of hard things going on, but there was, there was no provision for years. There was a, a famine. And all of a sudden there's this one opportunity. There's this one rain and they had one shot to gather this harvest. They were busy. 
And in the middle of all the reaping, somehow he stopped and he saw this woman of amazing divine dignity. And he saw her for who she is. Who is she? Who are you? You are a precious child of the heavenly father. Now, now whose are you? That's more fundamental. It's more fundamental to know who we are in light of whose we are. And what Boaz goes on to say about God the Father is breathtaking. She goes and says, look, I'm a foreigner. And he corrects her kindly by saying, you're more than that. He says, verse 11, you left your father and your mother in your native land. And you came to a people that you did not know before. Verse 12, the Lord God, repay you for what you have done. A full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. You are a precious child of the Heavenly Father. And secondly, the Heavenly Father is your ultimate refuge. Can you say that? My Heavenly Father, thank you, is my ultimate refuge. There are a lot of things that we are tempted to take refuge in. The things that we do, the the people around us, uh, the the things we're called to, the places we live, the the leisures and the comforts. But listen, all other refuges will fail. The Heavenly Father is your ultimate refuge. Now, I think it's no mistake here that when Boaz in verse 12 declares this forthcoming future benefit that will come from the Lord Yahweh, to Ruth, he says that God will repay you, verse 12, and, and he says this, this, this beautiful thing about what God's going to do. It's in direct contrast with what he says in verse 11, where he says, look, you left your father and your mother in your native land. Look, you went away from all the other things that would define you. What Boaz is saying is, is Ruth, you've seen the secret. You know something here. Our God is not just a tribal God. He's not just a a geographical deity. God is the creator, and the creator God is a father, and you see it. He's your father. You left your father and mother. He's saying maybe your father and mother are great, but what you've done is you've traded in for the greatest, and therefore you will be repaid is what he's saying. He's saying there's something greater that you've invested in, and God is going to return it to you. The very source of your longing, he's saying to Ruth. The thing that drives you the most. You're longing for a father that you've tried to cover up. You've tried to explain. You've tried to pass off as something else. You're longing for security. You're longing for steadfast love itself, which cannot be evolutionarily explained. That has come from God the Father, and he is your ultimate refuge. Now let's think about a little bit more about this contrast between your parents, or Ruth's parents, and God the Father. Because Boaz draws the contrast, but Jesus also draws the contrast in a very explicit way. If you remember, Jesus says, unless you hate your father and mother, you cannot be my disciple. That's, That's a contrast. He's not saying explicitly to hate your father and mother. He's using hyperbole to say the father's love is so much greater of a refuge than anything else that you can fundamentally take confidence in, than your job, than how you would define yourself, 
than what you want to do with your life, then your most primal relational realities, your spouse, your very father, that in comparison with him, everything else is nothing. And unless you can treat those things comparatively the way they ought, it's like hatred compared to the love of the father. What he's saying is, is the, the heavenly father's love is your ultimate refuge. And therefore your best security Your most essential relationships don't even measure up. The Heavenly Father is our ultimate refuge. And of course, in in Ruth's day, like our day, so often this this reality, this contrast is seen most clearly in difficult times. It, It would seem that the Heavenly Father's love shines brightly in the darkness. This has kind of been a reality for me too. I when, when things are going well in my house, I'm really nice to my kids. And I sure have a pattern of reporting it. You know, I'll, I'll probably post some on Facebook about some cool thing our t- kids did together. But man, I don't seem to post the things when I'm getting reactive with them too much. Uh, so I'll just share something with you right now. Because look, the Heavenly Father is loving when things are going well. And he's loving when things are dark and difficult. He doesn't react like we, lo- we react. I, I missed my kids so much when I was in Mexico. And I get home, and I mean, literally the last two days, whenever I'm away from my four little deuce animals, I start going through my photo stream and just looking through years of pictures. And I missed them so much. And nonetheless, the day I get back, here's what happened. I prepared a special breakfast for my kids, and we were going to do a daddy stroller thing. I put the babiest of my babies in the backpack and gave her a little donut, and I put the other two toddler babies in their stroller, the double stroller, and I had a special kind of breakfast thing with a donut and a few other things, putting some cups of theirs. Well, my three-year-old Alma, who let's just say she's really assertive, and God's going to redeem that, she wanted the seat Asa was sitting in, my four-year-old son. And so she decided to just dump her breakfast out. I don't know why she was punishing me, but she started to dump her breakfast out of the stroller. And I reached to grab it, but couldn't get to it. And in my anger, I immediately just went to turn to reach and dump her out of the stroller. But the Lord stopped me. Why is it that I love my babies more than life itself? But I am not. Clearly, that point, I could... I could exhaustively give painfully too many examples of this, but I am not their ultimate refuge. The Heavenly Father is our ultimate refuge. And additionally, this word picture that Boaz gives, the last thing that I want to point out about this passage, this is beautiful. He says, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So Boaz What he does here is he metaphorically likens the love of God the Father and his protective ability to a a noble and austere eagle that would cover his little chicks with his wings. This same word picture is given a little later in Psalm 91. I want to read to you verse 4. And I want to tell you, if you can claim the heavenly Father as your Father and Jesus as your Savior then look, you need to claim this promise as your own. Verse four says, God, the father, he will cover you with his feathers and under his wings, 
you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and rampart or protection. My wife memorized this whole chapter in a dark moment in, in our past. And I'll tell you what, it illuminated our house with the love of the Father. The Heavenly Father is our ultimate refuge. So listen, when you're strong, He's stronger. When you're weak, He's strongest. When you're confused or angry, He will cover you with His love. And when you're ashamed, He's just going to hug it right out of you. No, no sense trying to be defensive about it. He's going to love on you and love that right out of you. And if you forget all these things, you are not forgotten. He knows your name. He knows your future. He knows everything about you. He knows how to heal you when you've tried enough to heal yourself. Now, finally, it's important to see how the love of God the Father, especially what we see here, to see it in context of the Trinity. And this is important because the Bible has always declared that God the Father is God the Father. And it has always has the, the from the very start, the, 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 the echo of the Trinity is right there. In fact, Genesis 1, let us make man in our own image. Let us make man in our own image. And for centuries, Jewish scholars have have struggled with what to do with this Hebrew plurality. Why does it say us? Why does it say our? And they didn't know what to do with this mystery. But as the, the revelation got progressively more and more undisclosed, getting to the New Testament, and Jesus declaring things clearly and, and openly and undisclosed, we as Christians now understand that the Heavenly Father's love in, in, in a way that we, we, we can know that He's always been full of love. He doesn't need you or me to express His fatherly affection. He has always been Heavenly Father. And this is important for us to understand. Since the New Testament, we can very clearly see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And since probably about a century after, we're going to explain this a few, in a few weeks, about a century after the New Testament, we started to understand it in light of this word that we've adopted that really coalesces what we know, the Trinity. And we even have some examples to help us understand who God is like in the Trinity. Some of these examples might be helpful, but bordering on dangerous. Even our even our graphic, we had to be a little careful, careful about. We don't want to try to represent who God is in a graphic, in a sermon graphic. And there are, a lot of, there are a lot of things that might be helpful, but yet lacking. Let me just share some things with you. Maybe you've heard before that, that God is revealed in the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, always relating within the Trinity as a relator, as a father, as a son, as a spirit. It's something that's beyond our intelligence, similar to how molecular biology is beyond the intelligence of an ant. And though we can understand some things about it, and we can know enough to trust, to think that we can fully boil it down to our understanding can be dangerous. And so we make up uh, stories to, to, or, or analogies to, to understand it, and it can be helpful. Like the sun. 
God is like the sun that shines, right? The, the sun itself is like the heavenly father. And the radiance of the sun, the light of the sun, is like the sun who is the radiance of the father, who is the light of the world, as he said. And the spirit of God is like the, the warmth that emanates from the sun. Maybe kind of helpful. It helps us understand in a limited capacity one aspect of how three things can relate to each other, but don't think that that's going to tell us that this is what the Trinity is like. Because light doesn't have a personal relationship with, as a person with, with warmth. And you could say water is solid, it's gas, it's liquid, it's all water. Understandable. But even that, not necessarily all at the same time. And again, I've never had a conversation with water these are all limited. Now, I want to share something with you that is a diagram. This is not to share with you what the Trinity is like, but to help you make theological distinctions about where not to go, okay? God is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. God is the Father. The Father is God. God is the Son. The Son is God. All at the same time. How does that happen? I don't quite know. But the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father. God is one in three persons. It's a mystery. Our ability to understand this mystery is important. In the history, the, the heresies that have arisen and ravaged souls have come from our, our quest to try to resolve something that should not be resolved in our, in our minds. Many, many heresies. I won't get into them. But one of the worst things that happened is that either there is God that's kind of, at one point, he's just, he's the Holy Spirit, and then he's the Son. He just kind of flips and puts on different masks. That's not God. He is all these three things at the same time. It's a mystery. And you know what? From eternity, he has been Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, perfectly relating within the Trinity. That is amazing to me. Here's what, why we need to understand this. Because relationship and divine personal unity between people is who God is. And even all the things specifically about the Heavenly Father that we could share. Of all the things that God can be, He is the Almighty One. That's a pretty good title, right? The pinnacle of all His titles is how He relates to the Son, and to us. He is Father. It's one of the most important things we can understand about God is that he is about relationship. And that's why the most important things about your life aren't things that you do or think or say or aspire to. It's relationship. All the qualitative components of your life is relationship because God is a father. The most important things that I would ever do, I loved going to Mexico, but what I loved most about it was the relationships. And what I love most about coming back is the relationships. The best thing in my life is that I get to be a son of God. Behold how good and pleasant it is, what kind of love the father has given us, 1 John 3, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. I'm a child of God. I'm no longer an enemy of God in the rebellion of God against God. He has brought me into relationship with himself. He's given me mysterious, precious relationships here on earth with my limited time. Now, I've heard some skeptics say this about how we see the Trinity and the Heavenly Father. And stay with me here. This is important. I've heard skeptics say things like, well, well Christians just create Father God in the image of their own you know, primal need 
to understand human relationships? Now, this is a valid question, and and let's address this, because look, the vast majority of religions or thoughts on the earth involve humans that are made in the image of God that turn and make God in their own image, and this is not good. We have to ask, are we doing the same thing when we see God as our Father? Are we just calling him what's already familiar to us? And the answer to that question is no. In this case, it is the exact opposite. That's why it seems like that. It's the exact opposite. That father is instinctively familiar to us because he has always been eternally father before we even existed. He existed in relationship with the son and with the spirit. And that's why when he created us in his image, the biggest display of how we project that image in our midst is how we can nurture and define our kids. That's why father on earth is so important because He has always been father. That's why your greatest wounds tend to be father wounds. That's why only the heavenly father can heal you. Only his refuge is safe for you. He's always been father. He didn't need to create you. He existed in perfect relationship within himself, the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit, And out of the overflow of that love relationship, he chose to create humanity. And look, what did we choose to do? This is important. We chose to reject his love. We we chose to rebel against him, become his enemies. We chose to darken our minds. And from that rejection came murder, strife, division. Because we rejected the father's love. A child rejecting the father's love is like an airplane flying in the air, rejecting jet fuel, just letting it out. It tends to crash. And in our case, the case of humanity rejecting the father's love, the crash has taken up thousands of painful years where you have Moabites oppressing Israelites and Israelites uh, rejecting their God and, and burning their kids on the altar and children defining themselves based on their own debased minds and defining their own sexuality in light of their own perversions and abusing women and enslaving entire races of people and going into gay bars and spraying people with gunfire, people made in the image of God. And then others standing over the blood of the victims and scoffing and and opportuning on some political opinions. This is our crash. This is rebellion. And nevertheless, the heavenly father looks upon his precious children, the children that are in a rebellion against him. And he chooses to redeem and take back. Now remember I said Boaz became the father to Obed and then to the great king David. But even David would join the rebellion. And that's why he needed a greater king. You see, Boaz was a picture of the heavenly father who would, who would send his own son born of a virgin in the maternal lineage of Boaz and David, but born of a virgin, conceived of the Holy Spirit, set by the Father, also born in Bethlehem. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him will not perish, will not crash, will not have to be stained with endless rebellion, but will have eternal life. When does eternal life start? Eternal life starts the moment where you fully open yourself to the overwhelming refuge of the Father's love. 
Would you pray with me, please? Father, I thank you that I was in in the rebellion and I perverted your creation, precious people made in your image, young women that that you called daughter. I defiled in, in my own perversion and I rebelled against you. And yet you called me back to yourself because of the blood of your son. The blood of my sin is washed away. And now I am your son. I am a co-heir with Jesus. And I am an object of your love, Father. And I have a great refuge in you. When I feel successful, when I don't, when, I, when I'm confident, and when I am not, I'm confident in your love. There are people in here right now that cannot say the same. Honestly. Father, give me wisdom right now with how, how to lead this final moment. I didn't plan on doing this, but if I don't want to let an opportunity pass. While we're still praying, I don't know who you are, but the Father does. And if he's telling you this is your moment, this message is for you, And if the Holy Spirit's telling you, you need to fully and finally plunge yourself before the Father's feet to accept his love, to receive him as your Father, to turn from all the other things you've placed your confidence in, and to be defined as his precious and redeemed, bought back child. If this is your moment, the Holy Spirit knows it, and he's just telling you, that's you, that's you, that's you. And if that's you, I could tell you right now that you need to jump up and run around in circles, but I'm not going to tell you to do that. I'm going I'm to ask you to just raise your hand so that I can pray for you. If that's you, can you raise your hand? Thank you. Anyone else? Send this message is for me. Can you keep your hands raised? Thank you. Okay, you can put them down now. Thank you. Father, I pray you'd pour out your love. Only you can heal and truly heal. Only you can define. Lord, I can say how precious they are, but I I pray that you would show them their preciousness in light of you. I pray that today on Father's Day of all things, you would show your love in an overwhelming fashion and that all of us could take refuge in you no matter all the, the other things that we're going through. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Can you stand to your feet with me, please? Praise God. I have one important thing as we close. Uh, as divine fate would have it, uh, this afternoon I'm baptizing at least five people uh, later this afternoon. Uh, some of the folks on our, our, one of our launch teams, uh, some folks that have gone through Establish, and others who just seemingly randomly said, uh, I need to be baptized, and, and uh, Peter's back in town from Mexico. Let's do it, right? So I say seemingly random, but I think it's very appropriate on Father's Day. Jesus was baptized before he ever did anything uh, ministerially uh, notable for God. He was baptized, and God said, this is my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased. 
Baptism is a lot of things. We should be baptized if we, know, if we, if we come to know God because, I mean, first of all, that's what Jesus did. Uh, and baptism is so many things, but at least what the public display of black baptism is, is, is it, it is a family celebration. It's saying like Ruth left her family and her nation and her, how she defined herself and she came under the family of God and was used therefore by God. But after that, baptism is a public celebration that I've stepped out of my old life and into being defined by a child of the father. Some of y'all in here, maybe, maybe it's the, the several who raised your hand, and maybe it's others too. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, gonna to leave it up to you. We're going to dismiss in a second, and we can talk. But I'll say, some of you have turned from living for yourself and have, in recent months maybe, turned to live for Jesus because he's turned you. And now, you need to do what the Bible says. You need to be baptized. You just need to, you need to do it. Uh, I, I was baptized as a little baby, but I don't believe it was really baptism because the Bible says repent or turn and be baptized. And so when I was a young man, I, God turned my life to him and I responded and he told me to be baptized. And here's this be- another, I'm gonna, this is my last thing I'll say about baptism. All the other major acts that the, that maybe different world religions can do for God. There are things that you can maybe boast in. I went all the way to Mecca. I prayed this many times. I fasted for the whole month of Ramadan. That's crazy, right? Baptism, you can't do anything but passive voice, be baptized. What's that to be? I mean, even the physical act, like, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to let some dude lower me into the water, the most uh, vulnerable position I could do. And I'm going to go under the water to symbolize Jesus' death and coming up to new life. Woo! Look at me. I got baptized. Look, come on. You are loved by God. And if you have seen him turn to you, I will appeal to you and graciously take my extra eight minutes and say, you need to be baptized. If that's you, after we dismiss, just tell me your name and we'll get you signed up. And you have a few hours to go change yourself and everything. We're dismissed. Thank you.